it's good to see you. You too. And I, you're in your brewery. Is that what I'm seeing back yeah. there behind you? Yeah, so t- I'm in the brewery. So, okay. Really fast first. Uh, da, 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 da. Today on the podcast, I have a friend of mine from high school. Actually, we met when I was in ninth grade. That's when my family moved into your neighborhood. We did not go to the same school in ninth grade, but then we did for high school. Yep. Anyway, my friend is Daniel Evans. And Dan. I was just going to ask, do you go by Dan? Because you went by Dan before and I don't I don't know. People change. Family calls me Daniel. I, I you know, friends call me Dan. Coworkers call me Waldo for some reason. Uh, yeah. Are you hiding? Do you wear stripes? <laughs> <laughs> they can never find me. Is that what it is? Where's Waldo? <laughs> no, back in high school, you can remember I had the uh, big, thick brown glasses and the, the wavy brown hair. So I looked spin image of where's Waldo. So, yep, that's how I got the nickname. Oh, I can see that. I can see that. And for all the listeners, now they got a mental image of what I look like. Ish. Ish. If Waldo had a, what did you call it? Distinguished a distinguished beard. Distinguished look. Yep, I got a lot of that. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, so we uh, we didn't really hang out in the same group of friends at school, mm-hmm. but we hung out because of the neighborhood and the church that we belong to. Yep. So oh. you're you're Miss Popular. Uh, you hung out with the, the drama kids and all that stuff, and I was just a geek that just kind of hung out the stairs and watched everybody kind of walk by. So. I was a nobody. You were the important person. I was the important person. I was so invested in making sure that no one knew how damaged I was. Yeah. And see, for me, I just went and hid. Yeah. It's, we do it in different ways, right? Everybody does it in complete. It was so, it took me years, years to get to the point where I recognized that by sharing enough of myself with everyone freely, it made people feel like they knew me completely. And then no one dug deeper. Yeah. Well, I think growing up, you know, as, as kids growing up, you, you want to be part of the cool kids, you know, and you want to be part of the, uh, the clicks and stuff. And so you, you portray an image that you're not, is not who you, who you are. Well, I think as kids, you don't even know who you are. That's part of it. Well, when I say kids, I mean like teenagers. Yeah. Know. Yeah. yeah, you're still discovering who yourself it is, I guess. Yeah, and there's not always a lot of space to be true with that mm-hmm. as teenagers. Just not given a lot of space to be able to do that. And then um, I don't know how much you're aware of the fact that like there was a lot of abuse in my home growing up. Growing up, I did not know. No, it wasn't until I started listening to your other episodes that I started understanding a little bit more about your background. It's like, yeah. wow, I had no idea. Yeah, pretty fucked up stuff with like just all that trauma in the background of everything that was happening. And right when we moved to West Valley, I had been sexually assaulted less than a year before that. Wow. And that was never dealt with. I was never helped through that. And I want to bring it up here because one of the reasons that I became as healthy as I became is because of the group, this group of guys. and that you guys were you and Mike and Evan and um, I know Ben and Dave Dave. yeah. because you guys were just really cool 
You didn't put undue pressure on me for anything. Like you just allowed me to hang out with you guys. You allowed me to be comfortable around you guys. You didn't treat me like, I mean, you didn't know I was damaged. So there's that, right? But like I was, I was treated with respect in that group of friends in a way that I had not experienced before and often did not experience after. And I felt very safe in that group of guy friends. And it's interesting because it was me and all of you guys, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I bring that up because I want to say thank you. And it's truly a thank you because it's something that you did without having any idea that you were doing. You know, it's it's kind of who I am. I'm, I'm kind of a, a provider, a healthcare provider, a, a person, you know, I, I take care of people. That's yeah. my whole life is kind of devoted to just taking care of people. And I think I, I didn't really realize it until, I don't know, I was 18, 19, 20, but it I guess I've been doing it my whole life where I've just looked, overlooked and just kind of seen those people that needed help, knowing they needed help or not even knowing, but um, just kind of seeing who I was growing up and being a, a small little nerd, being quiet and, and secluded. I didn't want other people to feel that. So that's why I kind of stepped up and went into the profession that I did and kind of just included everybody around. I just, and to this day, I still am like that. I still try to buy everybody's dinner and, you know, and uh, make sure that everybody's taken care of. I just, that's who I am. I'm, I just, I'm a provider. I take care of people. That's awesome. I think it's fascinating when you talk to a woman who has that um, like compelling desire to care for people, we call it a nurturer. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about a guy, we call it a provider. You know what? That's part of the uh, religion we grew up in, right? Right. Well, and, and toxic masculinity as a whole, right? Sure. I can see I, that. I think it goes beyond because like I'm here in North Carolina. I'm it, I'm not quite in the Bible Belt. I'm not quite in the deep south, but there's a lot of religion in this area. It's not quite as blatant as some of the areas near us, but it's still very much here. And you see the same thing because any of any of these structures that have been set up with like a strong patriarchal breakdown, you know, of how they have sure. created the culture and things around it. It's, I don't know, it's yeah, fascinating. I can also use the word provider because I'm a, in healthcare. Right. And being a healthcare provider, you know, I, I guess the word provider has always been in my vocabulary. Right. Uh, but yeah. You just... are a nurturing provider, Dan. <laughs> you know what? With brewing beer, I am a nurturing provider. Absolutely. So that's another thing that's funny to me because when I reached out to you when I had left Mormonism and was like, I drink now. No, I don't even remember what I said to you. <laughs> and you mailed me the you mailed me some beers and you were like, let me know what you think of them. I had not had a lot of beer before. And I'm sure that was blatantly obvious when I responded to you. Like, I think there was some mm -hmm. citrus that you know, like yep, yep, yep. So, um, but the brewery scene out here in Charlotte is phenomenal. It's one That's of the awesome. things we, we love to go and check out the breweries and different things out here and see them. And so I'm like, so this is a good segue into tell me. So Dan, wait, this, what? So do you have a beer in front of you? I don't have a beer in front of me. Do you have a beer available that you can go grab one and have a beer in front of you? Because there's nothing better than talking about beer while drinking a beer. I know. And that was my plan. And right now, the two that I have here, well, Corey drinks a lot of Coronas. And that's okay. They're, they're okay. They're not my favorite. I, I really like the craft beers and stuff. I do have a pumpkin, a blonde pumpkin latte that's not that great. That's funny you say that because right now I am actually brewing 
or I've got uh, fermenting a pumpkin ale, pumpkin spice. No, ale. I love, I love pumpkin beers. They're yeah. one of my favorites. Tis the but season. This one, it's from. Well, I can grab it. Hang on, just one second. I'll grab it. Yep, I'll grab it. I think it's because there's coffee in this one, and I'm still not. I've had one beer with a coffee in it that I thought was really good, and a lot of them I'm just like. So this one, it's Sycamore Brewing. I don't know if you see their little. Yes. But it's a pumpkin latte. It's blonde. It's not, it's not bad. It's just that there is a brewery here. that's like 10 minutes from my house. It's called Trouse Brewing that has the best pumpkin ale that they put on their menu. And it's a brand new brewery. So last year was the first year they were even out. And I was one of the first people that got to try that. And I, I went back. So many times and they didn't have it in cans last year because they didn't get it done in time. So, but I would go back and they would do this like cinnamon and, and spice rim on the, the cup that they would do. And then anyway, that's awesome. Yeah. So for yeah, your local breweries for sure. I totally do. I, I, we enjoy those and we go to the local wineries and stuff too. Yeah. And check them out and stuff. What I did have in front of me, and I will still have it. This one is a bourbon. It's a whiskey. Yeah. yeah. And it's, can't I can't read the name on it. It's brand new. We So I, for Christmas, I signed us up for um, a bartender spirits delivery once a month so that we could try a bunch of different stuff. Like you can join like scotch or whiskey or vodka, all these different things. But they had one that was just called bartender and they'll just randomly send you. That's cool. Different ones every month. And so we try this one just came today. So you know how lucky you are to have that available to you guys that they'll mail to your house. Because oh. in Utah, we can't get any liquor or alcohol mailed. So in North Carolina, technically you can't have liquor mailed to you. But what this place does is they the contract with local spirit shops. And so we have a guy that will text Corey and be like, hey, I'm bringing your just want to make sure somebody's home because I have to hand it off, you know, like. So. Oh, so kind of like a Uber driver. Yeah, but for off your alcohol. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and awesome. we can do that. Like, there's a, the Drizzly app. You guys can't probably even use that in Utah either, where you can order local wine and beer and stuff and have it delivered. I can order wine or beer, not liquor, but wine or beer, like through Walmart delivery and have it delivered here. Wow. It's so interesting, the different laws and the alcohol laws between states. I find that just fascinating. Oh, fascinating. Well, we were traveling because we we lived in an RV and traveled for two years. I don't know if you knew right. that yet. And one of the funnest things that we did was research liquor laws everywhere we were. Because even like from county to county sometimes. And it started because I don't remember, we were in Virginia somewhere. And I drove, there was from the campground that we were at, it took about 20 minutes to get to this main road that led to either site town place, right? There was like two towns and apparently it was like right on a County line. So if I drove to the ones, they were the same far, the two stores. If I drove to the one store, I could not buy alcohol on Sunday and I drove to the other store and I totally could. And it was just like, I was like, and it was towards the beginning of our traveling. And I was like, this is going to be fun. We're going to research this everywhere we go. So yeah, it's it is fun. The most fascinating one for me was in Louisiana. If you are a minor, your parent or your spouse 
can buy you a drink when you're out to eat. Yeah, that's interesting. So you can't buy it yourself, but your that's parent a, or your spouse, people. yeah, can buy it for uh, you. That's interesting. And then there's a lot of them that are like, it's legal for parents to provide alcohol in their home for their minor children, but not for other minor children. You know, like, like, and some of the laws are just like, like here, it's it's so arbitrary. And I know it's because of the old, like, it used to be because they had church in the mornings on Sundays, but you can't purchase alcohol on Sundays until after 1230. So we used to have that here in Utah, but they ended that about 15 years ago, I think. Recently, the big controversy is called the Zion curtain where restaurants have to have a wall up right. where the kids can't see the kids in the restaurant can't see mixing the, the drinks. Are they finally trying to fight that? To... Oh, they've been fine. It, it's off and on. It comes yeah. and goes. It yeah. just depends on who's in office. You know, it's all arbitrary. The, it's interesting. I had heard that beer was going to go up. Did that end up happening? Because I know that some of the yeah. beer companies were like, we are not making this watered down crap for Utah anymore. Yeah, it was it went from 4.2% to 5% by volume. So yeah, it that finally did go up. <laughs> I was just looking at what this one was. Yeah, this one's 5.8, which is pretty normal here. So it's a pumpkin beer. What what's the base style? Is it an amber or is it's it It's a like... blonde ale? Blonde ale. Okay. Yeah. So it's a light colored. Yeah, it's Oh, it's a little bit darker than a blonde ale, but yeah. I think that's cuz it has coffee in it. Because it's blonde ale with coffee and spices, Sycamore Brewery. Oh, okay. But very nice. I am currently drinking a um, IPA, a hazy IPA. Love a good hazy. Um, Revision Brewery out of Sparks, Nevada. Okay. Yeah, it's a New England style hazy, and it is six point five percent, which is a, on the little lower end of most IPAs, but yeah. Drinkable, very easy. I think that's one of the reasons I like IPAs is because they're a little more boozy. Mm-hmm. I got a good funny story. <laughs> Wait, did I tell you my about my first alcoholic drink when I had emailed you that? No. Okay. No. I had a layover at an airport and my flight, there was a storm and my flight had been delayed for a couple hours already. And finally I was like, okay, fuck it. I had not been going to church for several years, but I had not drink yet because there's still that like <laughs> oh yeah that control and you know so I walk in and I was like okay I'm gonna get a drink it's gonna help me because I was still I had a panic disorder and I was still dealing with that at the time and I didn't want to take any more medication at that point in time for just the flight home and so I thought I'll just get a drink it'll help relax me it'll you know and so I'm looking at the menu and I thought oh Long Island iced tea. That's the best layover of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had a I had a few sips and all of a sudden I was like, I need a burger over here. (laughs) I'm gonna get some food in me. (laughs) Oh, that's too funny. But ever since then, man, I like the boozy drinks. I I I dig them. So so for me, it was the uh, jungle juice. I went camping with a bunch of friends and um, they brought out this very delicious um, mix of fruits and, and stuff. And uh, I was drinking it and it is so well balanced that as I was drinking it, it's just like, oh, this is great. And then I soon found myself taking shots of tequila, chasing it with the jungle juice. And within, I don't know, an hour or two, there's pictures out there, I, I'm pretty sure of me sleeping on a pile of rocks because I was like, 
out. We are so fucking lucky the internet did not exist the now. So lucky. <laughs> right. <laughs> so lucky. <laughs> oh, so many things. Of course, oh, I was man, 40. I was 40 when I had my first drink. So not that long ago. Yeah, yeah, five years, you know, but making up for it now. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Better late than never. So that's a bourbon. That is not a shot bourbon. It is a sipper. That so is smooth. Smooth? Yeah, it's nice. Now I'm interested. <laughs> yeah. What's the uh, proof on it? Uh Oh, 103.8. We're about to have some fun. 50, 50% ABV, so yeah. 51.9 ALC, yeah. Yeah. It's smooth. Usually there's burn in the esophagus a little bit, but that just. So younger whiskeys will have that little bit of a burn, but um, older, especially that bourbon is made with corn. So it'll be a little bit smoother than like a rye whiskey. Yeah. We've had some really good ones, but this That's one, cool. we, there was, in fact, there's one that was called Little Beastie or something that it was actually from like Scotland. And we liked it so much. We went and bought the label above it to give that a try. And that's, that's been a fantastic one for a good old fashioned. So was it a little bit smoky? Yes, it was very smoky. So it was more scotch than it was a bourbon. I like making cocktails and stuff. I like playing with it. I've got a smoker that I do my own thing with. Like cool. in, in the winter last year, I would make like smoky hot toddies, you know, chamomile tea and then a little something, something. <laughs> that just made me feel all warm and fuzzy inside when you said that smoky. Aww. That's yeah. awesome. And we do a bonfire here once a month, all fall and winter, and we'll do mold wine for that. And sometimes I'll, for the people who show up first, I'll do smoky glasses for them. <laughs> so do in a, in a smoky glass, a, a really good beer to try would be like a uh, barrel aged bourbon or um, a imperial stout or something like that. But warm it up a little bit, you know, leave it out on the, the counter for, you know, well, at least room temperature, maybe a little bit chill, well, about room temperature. And that that thick, chewy, dark beer with a mm -hmm. smoke and around a bonfire would just be amazing. All right. It's on my list. Boom, boom. Yeah. I mean, I definitely whiskey and then the, then the beer is usually what I go to when sitting around a fire. Yeah. And if it's really cold, then definitely a darker beer than a, a lighter beer. Yeah. We usually, we just tell people, bring your shit, like bring whatever you want for drinks. Um Sometimes See, I stopped doing that. I stopped doing that because people started showing up with like Natty Ice and PBR and stuff like that. So I'm just like, no, that's that's not. Most of my friends have kids. <laughs> and well, they're going to have to drive home. I don't they're think it's necessarily because, well, yeah, they have to drive home. That's true. Yeah. They're going to have to drive home. And I'm about 40 minutes to an hour from most of them. So oh. nobody's getting too fucked up here. <laughs> that, that's why we, me and Christy moved into a house um, a couple of years ago that had extra rooms, big enough to have extra rooms. So that, that people could just crash just out. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Well, part of our plan here, because we have 2.36 acres, it's wooded and that's our lot. Part of our plan is to put in a couple of like glamping cabins. Yes. That, because then we could Airbnb them or whatever. And then, but then also like bonfire night. Five, just do a couple do like one or two RV pads too, because if we decide to come back east, you know, with the dogs and everything, having an RV pad, we can roll yeah. up and just plug in and we've got 
Well, right now we could mooch dock you here. Mooch. So we could hook that we could hook you up to electric and water because our RV has that here. I couldn't hook you up to sewer here at the moment, but that is on the plans. But there's um, that's a place all not, you need. Yeah, you there's a truck stop not too far from here that you you can. So and we've well, got to visit North Carolina. You're welcome anytime, and the dogs are welcome. So because I haven't met Christy in person. My three kids. Would you like to? Absolutely. <laughs> All right, let me call her. Hold on. Okay. So yeah, we we don't have kids like you know. Um, yeah. Our kids are our fur babies. Um, we got two huskies and a fake black lab. Love them to death. We got one husky. She's uh, about eleven years old, and then another husky that she's four years old, and then my fake black lab. She's three, and I call her fake black lab because I wanted a black lab. I've always wanted. I mean, I had a black lab before. Loved her to death. Her name was Sassy. Um, she was just a snuggle bunny. Um, she's just the greatest dog, but she was a, a mean bitch. And I'll I'll kind of introduce her to her beer a little bit later because every dog that I've had, I've always made a beer after. But um, so I've always wanted another black lab after Sassy. And when we got um, Addie, she looked like a black lab. But then we we're like, uh, maybe we should do a DNA test. No lab whatsoever. No lab. None. <laughs> she's like Chow Rottweiler. She's uh, foe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and she's a sweet dog, but she's also really super nervous. And mm. um, she's been, all of our dogs are rescues. Let me just throw that out there right now. I mean, they, we will rescue. We used to um, foster for a rescue group and we just love the rescues. And so all of our dogs have come from an Indian reservation out in Gallup, New Mexico. And they've just been the best dogs. Fun fact, I lived an hour from Gallup, New Mexico in third and fourth grade. Did you? Yep. Is that when you lived out in the uh, Four Corners area? Nope. <laughs> that We were in Monument Valley when we were there. But we I lived in Raymond, New Mexico. It's tiny. But yeah, we yeah. would do our grocery shopping in Gallup because it was the closest place to get groceries. I haven't been to Arizona, but yeah, my three girls have. Yeah. Yeah. Are one or two of your dogs foster fails or didn't you have a foster failure? All three can be considered foster fails, actually, because we kind of, as we foster. To help socialize them and prepare them to go somewhere else, right? Mm -hmm. And we just kind of, we've fallen in love with them. There's been a lot of dogs that were just like, get the fuck out of our house faster than, you know, the sooner the better. But these dogs that we've got, man, they just fell inside the pack and just were the mannerisms and the way that they acted and behaved were just like, they got our hearts immediately and we're like, yeah, okay, we're keeping you. So yep, all three of them are actually foster fails. That's awesome. We've got, we, we traveled with three when we were doing our RV traveling, we traveled with three and people were like, how do you do that? And I'm like, you do it. Yeah. Christy. Hi, how are this, you? This is the closest to meeting in person we've been able to do. I know we've been friends on Facebook for, <laughs> for forever. Yeah. I love following your stuff and seeing about the puppies and yeah, but like I never posted anything anymore. <laughs> I, I you know, when you get to a certain age, you just, you're, you're done with Facebook and, and stuff. It's just like, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to be a little more invested just because for the podcast, I'm supposed to like follow algorithm. I'm not good at it. And since this is more like a pet project than like a, career move <laughs> you know i'm not as meticulous as i should be sure but anyway but yeah it's good to meet you the love of my life i love it i love it okay 
Thanks for popping by. <laughs> and how, how long have you guys been together now? Oh, geez. Let's see. 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, 21 years. About. We dated for about four years before we got married because, you know, being divorced, I wanted to make sure in my next marriage. Oh, was fuck yeah. I was like, guaranteed 100%. This is the one. And after about a year or two of dating, um, the topic came up with her and she's like, you know what? When you're ready, you're ready. That's fine. And that meant a lot to me. And yeah. I think that kind of solidified the deal of, yeah, she's the one. So, um, I, I, gosh, you're taking me way back to good memories. So four years, right. Um, and every year while we dated, we always went up to Yellowstone to go see the wolves, you know, being dog lovers. Yeah. We wanted to go up and see the wolves and the wolves were first introduced back in Yellowstone back in 94, 95. So we started going up there in, uh, 2000, 2001, we started going up there and there's a certain part of Yellowstone where you can go up and, um, watch with a telescope or, or like one of those fine scopes and you can go out and see the wolves. And so we kind of knew that. And I, and me being in emergency services, I knew that if I had a scanner in the car, then we can set the frequencies to the forest service frequencies. And the Rangers were always out there talking back, back and forth saying, Hey, yeah, we spotted wolves here and there. So we actually really knew where the wolves were. So every year for four years, we'd always go out and go up to the Lamar Valley. And we heard that there's a certain ranger up on the peak. He spotted the wolves. So we'd always go up there. And um, 2004, I think it was, we went up there and it was on her birthday. And the, the morning we woke up, I didn't wish her happy birthday at all. You know, I had this grand scheme in my head, right? And we make breakfast. We get You got to get up early. So we're, we're heading out. It's about four or five o'clock in the morning and it's all dark and everything. And I can tell she's just sitting there waiting for me to say, Hey, happy birthday, by the way. I hope you have a good day. <laughs> Don't even mention it. So we were driving about 15 minutes, 20 minutes to where we know that the ranger is at. And he's up on this little knoll and we go up there with our spying scope. We sit down and we start talking to the guy. The guy's really cool. Um, and there's maybe two or three other people there. And he's like, today's a special day. I'm thinking, Oh, fuck. he's going to ruin it. You know, and she's, I kind of look over at her. She's kind of looking at me like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't, I still don't say anything. And he says, the baby wolves are out. We're like, what? So we get the spying scopes all set up and we look out there and we see the adults kind of running around because the grass is so tall. We can't really see them. And all of a sudden we started hearing the baby wolves yapping and everything. So cool. And it was just, it was just like so magical and everything hearing these baby wolves just howling and barking and playing. And so we sat up there for like two hours, just watching and listening and, and, you know, oh, so cool. And then after it all ended, we jumped back in the car, go back to the camp and have lunch. And still, I've not said happy birthday at all. And we're just, just still just beaming from having this magical experience of hearing the baby wolf pups. Anyways, we go on throughout the day, dinner comes, um, and <laughs> it comes time to, to get ready to go to bed. I have yet to say happy birthday. And I know, I can tell she is just fuming, but she's she's strong. She's a strong woman, so she's not going to say anything, you know? She's not going to bring it up. And so it got to the point where it's like, all right, before we go to bed, it's like, hey, you want to go take a walk down to the river? She's like, yeah, okay, sure. So we walk down there. And it just happened to be on the night of a full moon, too. So we're, we're walking down the river, and there's a little bridge. And so we're walking across this bridge. The full moon is shining. You know, the river is glistening. And we're in the forest. 
it's just the force of Yellowstone, you know, it's just amazing. And we're just saying, there, just, I'm holding her and we're just quiet. It's just awesome. And she finally says, so what the fuck? You gonna, you gonna wish me a happy birthday or what? So I turn her around and I was like, no, I'm not. I'm going to do one better. I got down on one knee, pulled out the ring. And I said, will you marry me? <laughs> it's so funny. For like 30 seconds, she's just like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like totally unexpected. And it was so amazing. I totally surprised her with it. And, you know, I did the whole traditional thing. Like weeks before I asked her dad, I'm like, hey, you know, it's okay if I have your, your daughter's hand of marriage. And he looked at me, he's like, Whoa. guys still do that these days? <laughs> of course you can. <laughs> and yeah, so we've, yeah, it's been, so we've been married 17 years. We got married um, on top of a peak at Snow Basin Ski Resort here in Salt Lake. And um, we're totally outdoors people. And, you know, the dogs and I don't know, we've, it's been an amazing ride for the past 20 years. Just, That's awesome. Just That's awesome. So awesome. Yeah. Love her to death. Hashtag I have a house full of estrogen and I wouldn't have it any, any other way. That's so awesome. I love, you're just like happy, Dan. I just love it. I love seeing <laughs> you, know, you happy like this. It's it's because when you get to a certain point in your life, you just finally realize you got to be who you are. You got to enjoy what you're, you, you do and find the things in life that will really bring you the most happiness and, and, and enjoyment. And I've always said, if you're not happy, change it. Go out and do as painful as it might be to change something, go out and do what makes you happy. I've right. been a firm believer in that. And I've always told people that, you know, you got to do what makes you happy because that's, what's going to help with keeping your soul happy. Right. And that's yeah. hence the reason I, I'm brewing. Yeah. But, let's talk about that. This is a good segue. Let's talk about yeah. the brewing. So what got you into deciding to do this yourself? Yeah. So, um, 2011, I had a friend, a really good friend who, uh, he, he's a veteran. Um, and with today being 9-11, you know, cheers to all the veterans, Yeah, which can kind of segue into Nate too. But yeah, so he he learned from another friend how to brew. And so he invited me over one day. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to brew some beer. You want to come over? I'm like, sure. I, I don't know what that entails. Yeah, I'll come over. So we sat in his garage and we brewed up a batch of beer. And I was just like, that's actually kind of cool. And, you know, it costs about $100, $120, $150 to get into making your own beer. And the more I did it, the more I started to realize how enjoyable it was, how much fun it was. And so I, I kind of started buying more gear here and there, more equipment here and there. I started really diving into it a little bit more. And before long, thousands of dollars. In fact, I've turned a whole room into a brewery, essentially. Um, yeah. I've gone, you know, there's certain steps of a home brewer that they take. And the more I got into it, it just the more I found that that that's really a hobby. And my whole life, I've always tried different things here and there of, you know, do I like doing this? Do I like doing that? And it seems like, I think Christy would, would agree with me when I say this, that about every two years I find a new hobby. Um, but I think this hobby has probably been the one that's, that's stuck. Um, well, it's, it's been just, a lot longer than two years at this point. Right. Yeah. And, and being in, you know, just following the industry and being, you know, following the local breweries and their struggles politically and all that stuff. And then just seeing what uh, fun new beers that they're making, the, the flavors, the taste. I mean, there's thousands of different ways you can brew a beer. And a lot of people think a beer is just one style, one flavor, you know, kind of a thing. But no, man, there's so many different things out there. 
and that's that's the fun of the hobby and and the trade is when you take a certain recipe, certain grains, certain hops, and even mixing with the or messing with the water profile, you know, adding a little bit more acidity or something, it really changes what a beer tastes like. And yeah, um, it's like a chef, you know, and the way that they yeah. create food. It's the same way with beer. And I've always strived to brew something and give it to somebody and watch their face just light up like wow, that is really good. Now, I think they probably light up more of the, wow, Dan made something that tastes good <laughs> more than, you know, it's a really good beer. But they're like, just, this is a good beer. And then they're like, and Dan did this? I was like, yeah. What is this business? But it's just fun to be able to research a recipe or think, okay, what am I going to make this time? Like I said, right now I'm brewing this pumpkin spice ale that I asked Chris, I'm like, what do you want me to brew? And she's like, well, it's fall. This is the season. Let's, let's make something like this. And so coming up with a recipe and, you know, it's kind of fun just to do it and then sit here and watch and listen. I don't know if you can hear it bubbling behind me, but just hearing it ferment and kind of creating, watching the the troop and everything inside the beer is kind of rolling around and it's like live and active. And I guess a microbiology home experience or, or, yeah. or something. It's, it's My favorite cool. breweries to go to are the ones that have access to the view of mm-hmm. the fermentation process and things. Absolutely. So, you know, but yeah, beer, I mean, I've, yeah, I've been brewing and you know, I started, when I started brewing, it was on like a little burner um, in the garage, uh, just doing small little batches and stuff. And, I did that for until we moved into this house two or three months before the pandemic hit. No, a month before the pandemic hit, we moved into this new house. And with all the rooms, I'm just like, you know what? That room is going to be turned into a brewery. And the, the reason why I picked this room is because the previous owners had it as a nail salon or a hair salon. So it was um, already. Yeah. So it was already somewhat made that way. Somewhat you know, plumbed and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, ish. Ish, um, yeah. It was it was kind of interesting. She had like 56 plugs in this one room and the room is only like 20 feet by 30 feet and there's like 56 plugs in there for god who knows what. I, I you know, I'm not in that industry so I don't know if they need everything plugged in at oh, once yeah. but um there is a, a floor drain and some water and stuff. So it was very easy to put in a sink. Um you know, and it was fun to kind of take the two years during the pandemic of just coming home from work, jumping in the shower, of course, because, you know, being in healthcare, you don't want to bring it home to you, the family, and then coming down and just spending a couple hours in the brewery, just building and, you know, doing drywall or electrical or, um, you know, just doing that kind of thing. So I, I've gone from doing a propane fire in the garage to now just an electric setup. I mean, I, I wired 240 volts into the room and, um, I've done most of the stuff myself. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's fun to be able to go from just being a small on the stove to now moving out to the garage on a burner to now moving in to a room and doing electric. And it's, it's kind of cool. I, I got a lot of shit just sitting around. That's all brewery stuff, beer stuff, beer making stuff. But you know, it's, that's, the, that's the hobby. Anyone's yeah. hobby. stuff yeah. just laid out everywhere. Right. For sure. That's really yeah. cool. That's yeah. really cool. It, so how fun. many, how many beers do you have going on right now? Uh, just one, just, just the pumpkin. Just the one. Okay. Yeah. Yep, just the one do you tend now. to just do one at a time or? Um, well, probably 
certain stages of the brewing process, it takes about a total of three to four weeks to brew a beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can have two to three. I've, I've had it the most. I've had four beers going at once. Um, and I was pretty involved and heavily, you know, every weekend I was brewing and just being down in the brewery all the time. And it kind of took away from doing other things and, and being yeah. with the family. So I'll probably have like maybe one or two at the, at the most. And then I've got a kegging system now where I just throw it into all into a keg instead of bottling it. So we can throw it in, into the kegerator. You have fresh beer on tap and that will usually last two or three months. I and mean, we're not like draining beer, like constantly, you know, a lot of things, people think like that an 18 year old. Yeah. A lot of people think if you have beer on, on tap that you're just going to be drinking every night and everything. And no, we just hit, you know, whatever flavor we want here and there. And so a keg usually lasts us about a month, month and a half. And so having two or three different options, flavor styles on, on the keg is pretty good. So yeah, I, I probably have about two or three going at, at the same time at once through the different stages just to oh, have cool. those different options but that is really cool and then moving in this new house we've, we've uh, built a patio just outside the brewery um where the brew table is set up right behind a window or by the kegerator and the patio is just outside so i've got plans to pipe from the kegerator going out to the patio so we'll have taps out on the patio as well yeah that's way yeah. awesome that's so fun. cool well we're coming to utah in june so you have to come and visit <laughs> You, Corey, Rory, please come and visit. So are you comfortable with us talking about Nate now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, let's bring it. I mean, there's there's good times and bad times that comes and goes, of course, because nobody really likes to talk about being a suicide survivor. Nobody wants to be, you know, no one is a suicide survivor, but. Okay, let me, let me address that phrase because I know that there are a lot of people who still don't understand that phrase, suicide survivor. It is anyone whose loved one has died right. by suicide. And we no longer say taking their lives or committed suicide. At least you shouldn't. I, I hate the word committed. Me too. Um, Absolutely. They, they did not commit. It wasn't a, um, their disease took them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's definitely a mental health issue um, behind that. Yeah. Being a suicide survivor is something that you're all of a sudden thrown into having to deal with that, wherever you are, whatever family status you're from, it's going to be hard. It yeah. always is. And so for the listeners, Nate was your brother. Yep. So Nate, Nate was my little brother. So background really quick. Can I tell you? how close me and Nate were. I come from a family of eight. I was number five. So kind of in the middle late, um, I had two older brothers and there was me and Nate. And then I had two older sisters and two younger sisters. Um, we grew up very strong religious background um, in the Warren church. Uh, dad was single income, worked for the fire department, stay at home mom, right? My older brothers were old enough that when they were in high school, junior high, they didn't want anything to do with their, their family. They wanted to go out and do things with friends and stuff like that. So I was kind of alienated. Uh, I didn't really have, I always wanted that, that brother relationship. And seeing that or being part of that, I didn't want to do that to Nate. Right. You know, I wanted to make sure that Nate had an older brother that he could always trust and rely on. And so... Everything we did, you know, we did it together and we, our relationship really built growing up because he also wanted to kind of go into the fire department and go, wanted to be a firefighter and work emergency services. When I got my job on the ambulance in, see, that was 95 when I graduated, he was still in junior high, high school, but we continued to do stuff. How many years older than Nate were you? Six years. Okay. So there's six years between us. He 
had a high school sweetheart that he fell in love with and um, got her pregnant. And I think before he graduated, got married. And then right after he graduated, he graduated from high school, he had his first kid. So coming out, uh, that was probably 2000, early 2001, I think, if I remember right, that he had his first kid and he was married straight out of high school. Well, he was married. He's, he's graduating. He's walking the plank with, you know, a ring on his finger, which is unfortunate, but he was a strong kid. He, he dealt with it. And then 2001 hit. And I think he really took that to heart when that whole situation, and it's kind of interesting that we're talking about it today on the on 9-11, yeah. 21st anniversary of 9-11. Because um, we all remember where we were at when that happened. But he, I think that prompted him to go into the military. And I think that's kind of where we really started to grow strong is because he was my camping buddy. You know, we always yeah. did camping trips together. We always went on hikes together. Um, I always supported him with everything because growing up together and being my little brother, I always tried to take care of him. So we were really super close and going to the military. I think he experienced what I experienced when I went and worked on the ambulance. You know, he, he saw stuff that really kind of opened his eyes and experienced, you know, well, he had his own experiences, I guess. Yeah. And we had some really good conversations and good times. I mean, he's my he's my best friend. He really was. Yeah, he really was. And with him, he even came and worked with me on the ambulance. I mean, there was a time that we were partners on the ambulance. We were running calls together. Um, he was partners with my wife, Christy. You know, she was, they, they together they worked really close calls. And I, I think one of the calls that him and Christy went on was really, I think, and it's just, it was a horrible call where, a mom backed over their kid, you know, oh, and they responded and, and seeing the trauma behind that and with him having his young daughter really affected him. I mean, like bad back then in the day, we always in the EMS will always say, Hey, just fuck up and just deal with it. You know, instead, you know, talk to somebody and, and, and share your feelings and, you know, let's resolve this, you know, so you don't have to go through that horror and the trauma. And so he had, he had skeletons in the closet too. I think it got to a point in his life where he just couldn't handle it anymore. And he felt, which I think most people who do suicide, I think are like that, that they just, they think that they're better off away from everybody. And that everyone else is better off without them. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't realize that the, the trauma left behind or the horror left behind. I mean, it's, with him leaving us, it seriously has split the family. Yeah. Um, half the family communicates with each other, the other half doesn't. And, you know, it's been 11 years since, 10 years, 10 years since, and we still have bad relations with the family. I mean, the family was so strong up until that point. But yeah. I have two uncles, both both of my mom's brothers' suicide. One when I was 13 and one when I was 23. And the reason that even in the worst parts of my depression that I have dealt with, I didn't take my life is because I am a suicide survivor. And I saw what happened when my uncle Larry, who was the first when I was 13, what happened when he suicide and how his pain, instead of making things better for everyone, rippled out. And you think Mm -hmm. about like when a pebble goes into a pond or a lake and as the ripples go out, they get bigger. And sometimes you end up with waves from that. And so that concentrated pain just goes so like, you have no idea the effect that you have on people. And that's not to say anything in shame or anything towards the people that end up um, dying by suicide, because 
having been in a place where I felt like that was my best option, I understand why you feel like that's your best option. Sure. And- yeah. They, they feel like there's they're in so much pain that they don't see any other option. You know, they're in so much pain and well, you just um, they, want they you just realize. want relief from it. You just Absolutely. want a break. You just want to not have to be like literally. <laughs> Absolutely, want the release. And with Nate being in the military, because he was a a Navy corpsman, so he was um, actually attached to a Marine Corps um, unit. So he was their their medic. And with him working the ambulance, being the whole medical side of it, he knew the signs and symptoms of uh, mental health and depression and all that stuff. And so I think he hit it really well because I never saw it coming. Yeah. The the moment I did see it coming was a moment too late um, because I would have gotten him the help. But I just which the whole the moment I saw it was the moment that it all went down. And um, do I have regret? No, absolutely not. Because everything happens for a reason and not saying that, yeah, everything happens for a reason. And I think I took that situation and instead of saying, this is going to tear me apart, this is going to destroy me, which I told him looking at the window rolled up when right before he was going to do it, you know, this is going to destroy me. Don't do this. I look back at that and go, you know what did destroy me? Absolutely not. It made me grow, made me better as a person, which is not a good thing. No. But I've decided to make it a good thing. It's the it's the resiliency that you showed up with. It has it has mm-hmm. less to do with the circumstances and more to do with who you are as a person and what you decided to do with those circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can you can definitely go down the road of going, why did he do this? You know, and why, why, why? You know, how did this happen? Why did this happen to this and this and dive deep into it? Which I still have a few family members that are really caught up into it and 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 want to know why and still are connected to that that bad side of it, but I've taken and decided, you know what, I'm not going to go down that road. And whenever I do, I got to refocus and go, no, I'm going to think about the positives behind it and and really remember him for his good spots and his good things. And you know, what he really lived for. So you have taken his legacy and made some beautiful things with it. So I, 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 I want to talk about, I know you're, you're humble around this. I get that, but I remember the, and unfortunately the, the year I signed up to do the stare thing, I still ended up paying for it or whatever. Right. But I was dealing with a panic disorder. I had, I had my own things. Right. So my family, we paid to do it. So the funding still went to the situation. Right. But let's talk, let's talk about what the stare challenge was. So the stare challenge. So Nate, when he joined the military, and that's why I brought it up earlier about the military, um, he wanted something to do physically challenging that would help him, you know, stay physically fit to, to be with the Marines. And he found that there was this, this stair climb happening in Salt Lake, which is actually a national event. You right. Know, the American Association, um, Fight for Air Climb. Um, every year they do this fundraising to help, you know, with um, lung disease and stuff like that. And the Fight for Air Climb, what it was, was the tallest building in each of the major cities was an event that you come and, and it was a fundraising event that you'd go and, and try to raise as much funds. And then you go and, and run the, the stairs to the top floor of the tallest buildings in every city. And so he did that. And the first year he did it, he loved it. I mean, just fell in love with it. So he told me, he's like, Dan, you gotta come do this. You gotta come do this. This is so much fun. This is so cool. And so we did the second year and man, he kicked my ass running up those stairs <laughs> like bad. I'm, I get up to the top. I'm dizzy. I'm like almost to the point of fainting. I'm like, 
my parents were up at the top, you know, they were like all cheering that we made it to the top. And, and um, I'm sitting there against the floor, just kind of, you know, the, the whole zoning out kind of getting the, the television going in and out. I'm thinking, Oh my God, I'm going to pass out. I'm going to look like an idiot. Um, and it was just horrible. But the second year I'm like, Nope, he's not going to beat me. So the second year I trained for it and, and, you know, together we sat there and we were running together up these stairs and, Oh man, it was so much fun. And then, um, the third year he had his, um, second kid, his son Brody and his son Brody has asthma. And so the team name went from, cause you generate these teams, right. Go out and, and be, you know, it's team challenges. You can be the biggest team or raise the most money, you know, for these, these events. And so his team name was running for Brody, um, breathing for Brody. And so we, we did that and it was so much fun because we brought, you know, we, we had like 10, 15 people and it was, it's just so much fun. And we just really enjoyed this event every year. And so following the year after that is when Nate died. And so it just felt like I had to carry the team, you know, into this next stair climb. And so we That's called the it year we early, signed up. Yeah. The first 2013. And because of Nate's death, I think we were able to get 53 climbers, which was like the largest team. It was, mm-hmm. it was really cool. And we got a big picture at the top floor with everybody on the team and, it, it was just, it was, it was good, but it was sad at the same time, right? Bittersweet, right? It was super bittersweet. Um, my parents were up there, you know, they saw Brody come through the door and I got a picture of them giving Brody a big hug and it, <laughs> it, was, it was really cool. And then the American Lung Association decided not to do the events the following year in, in Salt Lake. And so there's no more stair climb. You know, it's like after that, it's like, what do I have to continue to honor Nate? One of the following year, one of the organizers from American Lung Association reached out to me and said, hey, you know what? We really enjoyed stair climbing. What do you say about me and you just organizing a, a climb and just doing it ourselves? And I was like... Fuck yeah, let's Isn't do that this. when you did it for the Huntsman Center too? So, yeah. So we needed kind of a, what do we raise money for? Because it's a fundraising event. So who do we raise money for? And so um, Huntsman Cancer, here in Utah, Huntsman's are pretty big on, on cancer research. They're who and, took care of my mom. Are they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we're like, yeah, let's, he wanted to do it for the Huntsman. Um, That's the reason my mom got 10 months after her pancreatic diagnosis instead of the four that they projected. Yeah, um, they're really good. They're really innovative. Really, they're just yeah. an awesome group of people. I have nothing but respect for the Huntsman people and anyone who works for Huntsman. Um, it's just, they're amazing. So we organized it. And that year, it's like, well, I can't really call it Breathing for Brody because of family dynamics. You know how I was saying earlier that the family kind of split. Unfortunately, I was excluded from that side of the family, which was really painful and still hurts to this day. But yeah. I, I needed to find somehow a, a team name to kind of carry on the, the legacy. And it wasn't until I was, I was watching a video. His name always wore GoPros on his climbs. And the year that he passed, that, that stair climb year, he was, him and Brody were running the stairs and they're on the, the last light and he told Brody he's like finish strong come on finish strong come on Brody finish strong and Brody's like yeah yeah dad yeah dad 
And at that moment, it's like, that's the team name. Finish strong. Finish strong. And I've kind of taken that that whole name of finish strong to a whole nother level. But so I was like, that's the team name. And so every year since, up until the pandemic, of course, um, it's always been team finish strong. And for several years after that, we've always had the biggest team. Um, everybody's always come out and support and and they know that the, the mantra behind finish strong. So yeah, Nate's yelling and screaming finish strong to the sun on the last flight. That's that's his, that's one of his many legacies, right? Yeah. The other legacy he has, he after he passed, we started going through all of his stuff and we started seeing this little symbol that he wrote on all of his belongings. And we couldn't we can't figure out why is he doing this? What is he doing this? And the more that we started going through his stuff, we realized it went all the way back to junior high elementary school that he was writing this symbol on all of his belongings, even in the military. All his military gear. Had I had no symbol. idea that it had gone back that far. Yeah. I think we were going through some documents and it actually said that the, that was his life symbol. That that was who he was. And that's what was um, what he lived for. And, you know, of course, the, that symbol, right, of the the E with the, with the yeah. So we saw that and we're like, well, what does it mean? What does it mean? And we didn't know what it meant for months and months. And finally, I came across something that, that described what it was. It's the word life all together. So you take the L, the I, the F, and the E and put it all together. So it's life, which it's hard to comprehend with what he's done. But now knowing that you got to live life, right? You got to enjoy life. You got to take each step. You got to step up, step forward, keep going forward. Even if you think you're taking two steps back, no, you're, you're turning around, taking two steps back, but you're still moving forward. You're still, you still have that experience. You're learning from it and you're turning around and still moving forward. You're, you're stepping forward, you know, continue to take those steps and, and live life. Um, and that's kind of what finish strong is all about. So I always have that E with finish strong. Um, because I want people to know that whenever life gets hard, always take that next step and finish strong. You know, always continue to grow and and enjoy life and, and be who you are. That's, yeah. That's kind of what I've taken with his legacy. I love it. Yeah, that and, and his flags. <laughs> he uh being in the military, he he learned about the American flag. Mm-hmm. And he <laughs> he was so staunch about having a nice, clean, crisp American flag flying everywhere. And every time he was deployed, I always fly my American flag. Um, I got the American flag now in a shadow box because that's the only way I can remember him by. Um, yeah. But he loved the American flag so much that anytime he'd drive by and see somebody, he'd have flags in his brand new flags in his truck. Anytime he'd drive by and see somebody with a ready flag, he'd pull over and go and exchange it for him and hurry and beeline it out of there before they even noticed that he exchanged it. There's one time he spent like five or six hours at an elementary school waiting for the principal to find the key to the flagpole. So he can change out the flag because he just, he loved the flag so much. And I've taken that now to um, anyone who needs a flag retired, you know, please give it to me. I want to retire that flag for them in honor of Nate, my company, they bring three, four five flags a month to me because they know I'm the flag guy. Now, every time before I go and do a, a marathon or half marathon or a race or anything like that, or an event, I always go up to his grave and I, I place a flag on his grave and, and, to, and ask him to, to help me finish strong, you know, and, and it's just the flag now means double to me more than, you know, it means to most people. Most people look at that as it's 
it's America, but to me now it means America, but a, a, a son who has fought, you know, my little brother who has fought for the country. And um, now it just means a lot more to me. And so I want to make sure that that, that flag is taken care of. And so that's another part, another legacy that always continues to make sure that there's always a flag on his grave. Yeah. Um, and instead of going up there, you know, daily, weekly, you know, that, that's just something that you just can't do being a suicide survivor of always visiting always having those memories. And that's why I decided anytime I do a run or a race that I always go up and just put that flag on there and remember him and ask for his permission to help me finish strong. And, and yeah, that's, that's how I remember Nate. And that's, that's what I've taken. I don't want to go down the road of the negativity and, and of the situation of him losing his life. I, I just want to remember him for who he was and what he, he loved to do, what he was about. Honor the beauty of his life. Yeah. 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 I get that. I totally get that. That's how I, I remember Nate, my little brother. I have a lot of um, compassion for military and military families. Obviously, Corey, you mm-hmm. know, did his 20 and um, talking about how it was, there was a deployment where he ended up helping bring people from the medevac to the clinic on the base that he was at. And that's the one that he came back really different. And I have so much yeah. respect for first responders and for military. And there's just a side of life that y'all see that could be so dehumanizing. It's like I said earlier, you know, with, with me coming out of high school, working the ambulance and seeing life and how people end up in life, you know, the conditions they are in and how being in a car accident and having every limb ripped off, you know, it's, that really changes you. It yeah. really does. It, it takes you and puts you in another perspective of, of what life really is. And, you know, funny story, I was meeting with one of my um, retirement advisors uh, a couple months ago, and I was asking him to make sure that I was in a very high risk in my retirement plan because I want money now. I want to spend money. I want money. I want money. I want to spend. I want to go out and venture. I want to have fun now. And he's like, well, what about retirement? I want money then. I'm like, I don't plan on living past retirement because I don't, you never know when it's your last day, when it's your last moment. You got to live life now and live life today because you never know when it's going to be over and when it's going to be you know, done. And when I got really in the darkest place that I was ever in, it was a couple of years after I'd had Rory. I had miscarried. I was going through postpartum from it because it was my third pregnancy. I only had one birth, but I had had three pregnancies. I lost two. And when I was going through the postpartum of that second time, I actually put myself in the hospital so that I wouldn't suicide because having been a suicide survivor, I didn't want to pass that on to my child or to my husband or to my family. Mm. Not too long after that, I came across this phrase and it has always hung in my house ever since then. And it says, embrace this moment for this moment is your life. Oh, I love it. Yes. Because we're not guaranteed anything beyond right now. Yep. And if we take care of the beauty in this moment, we will have a full and beautiful life no matter when it ends. Yep. And, you know, that doesn't mean go out and spend, you know, millions of dollars on the credit cards no. you know, to go out and just, you know, live the rich and, and famous, you know, you just got to find what you enjoy, what makes you happy and just embrace it and live it to the fullest. Yeah. All right. It's time to open another beer. Ba-dum, ba-dum. What I'm going to open is one of my home brews. This is a grumpy snuggler. Yeah. This is my, sna- my sassy beer. Oh, grumpy Hey, snuggler. so it's after sassy. Okay. Yep. So What's sassy your- was my black lab. Um, What's your flavor profile on this one? So, so I named it Grumpy Snuggler because um, 
she was such a snuggler and and just really i mean she snuggled with me she snuggled with me she just really was an amazing dog but when she was around other dogs man she was just a grumpy little shit and she was actually <laughs> known to bite the noses of other dogs so there's a lot of dogs out there that have holes in their snouts because She'd, she'd snap on them. That's how I named the, the dog or the name of the beer's uh, Grumpy Snuggler. The flavor profile on this is a bourbon barrel aged imperial stout. Oh. So it is a very black and chewy beer. Um, and I brewed this in, uh, let's see, I adopted her in 2004 and I brewed it in December of 2016, just right after she passed. Um, and what I did is I took I brewed three different imperial stouts and then I combined them together and then threw the brew in a local distillery's bourbon barrel that I got. Barrel aged it for about six months. It looks good. I wish I could reach through that. (laughs) Is that not a bonfire kind of a beer? Hell yes, it is. Nice, dark and... Yeah. The nose on it, you get you get a good dark char wood, some chocolate, cocoa nibs. Yeah, that's just, I mean, that was brewed in 2016. And when you homebrew, you usually want to drink beer pretty quick because it doesn't last that long. But when it's a higher alcohol content, you can you can keep it around. So um, this is about an 11% beer. Nice. And, oh, it is. It is delicious and still, yep, <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, I only open it on special occasions. And since you made me cry today, I think that's a, a, <laughs> a special occasion occasion. So that's one of the things I love about homebrewing is when you taste something that you've made, it brings an image or a memory back. Yeah. And I enjoy having that memories coming. You know, a lot of people taste a flavor and go, oh yeah, this tastes like this and this and this. But for me, flavor and my palate brings memories. It's visceral. Yeah. And, and for me, that's, that's what really I, I focus on as what brings back the memories and, and the, the good times and the enjoyment. Yeah. Um, and so, um, I, I know I had talked to you at one point about the fact that we're working on, we're so delayed on, you know, you always think you're going to have all these projects done around the house and, uh, and life happens and it does not happen anywhere on the schedule that you hoped it would. <laughs> yep. yep. It's, it's packed life, right? Yep. Yep, exactly. And we, so anyway, this house, one of the reasons I fell in love with it when we bought it is there's a bar that is built into the house and we're tearing out the thing that it had because it's not what we want. And Corey doing his woodworking and all that stuff, he's going to build a new bar for it, but we're calling it the tipsy dog. Oh, I love it. And I absolutely love it because we love our dogs. (laughs) And so we're naming cocktails after our dogs and friends dogs yeah so i'm gonna challenge you okay to give me some ideas on the personalities of your dogs including sassy because i think that would be awesome if we found a cocktail that worked for sassy so a, a cocktail for sassy um of course you know with her being a black lab um and being kind of a a grumpy old lady um, you definitely have to have something that has a bite, something that's that's uh, more on the savory side than the sweet side. Um, I would say something smoked that has more a rye whiskey than a bourbon or, you know, something you don't want gin or, or vodka in it. So something that's more of a rye whiskey um, that's smoked and a dark kind of a color, I think. Um, for Tasha, one of my, my old huskies, she was 14 when she passed. She was a diabetic and we were 
giving her insulin shots every morning and evening um, for like three or four years. Yeah. Um, and if you think taking a blood glucose, you know, little pin note, uh, poke on your finger and doing a glucometer on yourself is hard. Try doing it on a dog I every day. Imagine, yeah. Um, but we did that for a couple of years. Um, she was the fluffy wit. Um because she was so happy and spry and always balanced as even though she, her joints wouldn't move, she's always trying to balance. And so a, a good bright whip beer was what she got. Um, we had I'm another thinking something with cotton candy in it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we had a Malamute that we foster failed um, for only six months. I wish we had a longer time with her. Her name was Citra because I named all of our fosters after a beer name. So Ipa my oldest, you know, IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have Kiri or Kieran Ichiban, the Japanese beer. Ichiban. And then Addy, Addy Bach. So we'll need a, to put sake in those ones, I think. Yep. yep. Um, so Citra, uh, she, she had a Citra IPA. It was her beer that I made for her. Actually, um, one of our Pormores had this really amazing Japanese whiskey. Yes. Uh, have you had a Japanese old fashioned yet? Well, I made an old fashioned with that whiskey. So apparently, it's, yeah. I don't know. I can't remember. But there's a restaurant here local that has a, a Japanese old fashioned. It tastes totally different than a regular old fashioned. They usually do like a rice whiskey. Yeah, absolutely. It totally changes the, the whole flavor profile of that. So you're saying that Tori is going to go into woodworking and stuff. Well, I made my own bar top. So I took this room. It was just a, a specific room into the great room. I blew the wall out and put a bar top on it. I made my own bar top. Is that resin? It is. It's epoxy. Yeah. Yeah. A river in it. So I took two slabs of a tree, put them together, and then put a river in the middle. Yeah. Love it. Love, love, love it. We're doing something similar to that. And the wood is from our own. Oh, yes. I love that even more. Yeah. Hey, Corey. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Good. How you doing? Good. Nice to finally meet you. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Dan, Corey, yeah. Corey, Dan. <laughs> Dan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Um, there's a question I always ask, and it is if there's like a book or something that you feel like is like a life kind of book that you, that really resonates with you that you'd like to recommend to the readers or to the listeners. Sorry. A book. Oh man. Um, book. So I actually hate reading. That's and, fair. Um, I, I think it's a waste of time to sit there and read because it takes too much time to read than versus watching a, a show or a movie. But you got a show a while, or a movie or something else know, that you want every to Every once okay. in a while, there's, there's a, a good book that I come across and, um, Gosh, you know what? There, there is one book that, in fact, I, I will probably go and reread again here soon because it is such a good book. It was by an, a guy named Ed Veesters, and it's called No Shortcuts to the Top. And Ed Veesters is a mountaineering um, guy, and he's climbed the 14 highest peaks in the world, the 14 8,000-meter peaks, without oxygen. Wow. He started off 
guiding on Rainier, uh, which Rainier has a special place in my heart because that's where I almost died in an avalanche. Um, that's another story later. Um, but he, he wrote this book, No Shortcuts to the Top, and it talks about overcoming trials and tribulations. And he applies it to the outdoors and mountaineering, which kind of resonates with me because I'm such an outdoorsy kind of a guy. And, you know, you have to take the right steps and the right um, processes to get to that top. And one of the biggest things that he says is getting to the top is only half the battle. Getting back down is the the other half. And I think a lot of people who climb Everest, because he used to guide on Everest, you know, they're they're always focused on the top. Try to get to the top, top of the mountain, top, you know, top, top, top. And getting to the top, then all of a sudden you're you spent all your energy getting to the top of the mountain. But you know what? That's only half the battle. Now you got to get back down. And a lot of people die because they don't realize, oh crap. They need a reserve to come back down. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that kind of that book kind of resonated with me to say, you know what, even though you focus on a certain object or a certain point or a certain milestone, still think about after that, beyond that. So whatever you do. Think about, you know, you got to do something that that continues to build and grow and make you who you are mm. moving forward, not after each project or after each milestone or after each event. You got to think about, okay, what after? So is this going to help me be a better person after or be, you know, what's the next big adventure or something yeah. like that? So, and and taking shortcuts to, to get to the top to succeed? No, don't do that. Just be true. You know, stick with your whatever comes across your life, do it. Um, there is one, I watch a lot of, a, a lot of YouTube, um, because I'm a, more of a visual guy than, um, reading guy. Yeah. And there's one, there's a few channels I watch. And one of the channels I watch is a guy out of, um, I think Kentucky, Tennessee, somewhere there. I can't remember. Um, he's building a, a steel boat. Okay. The, the YouTube channel's name is SV Seeker. And this guy finally is like, you know what? I'm done with life. He he cashes out his 401 and spends all his money on building this metal boat. And he calls it the boat the internet built. And he <laughs> takes whatever comments or whatever people say, and if people want to stop by and offer help, it's literally the boat the internet built because he has all these people that are just coming. He meets all these interesting people and and um, they offer all these different advices and, and their expertise on building this boat. And for the past couple of years, he's built this huge, massive Chinese junk boat. Um, it's a different, it's a certain style of boat. Um, they built this boat and now they're finally on the water and, and sailing it. And it's so cool because every once in a while, he's like, you know what? I'm listening to this book on tape, you know, while I work and, and they're throwing this and that. And he says, you know what? Turn this video off. Stop watching. Get out and do. Do. You know, what did you do today? You know, and he's really inspired me to, to get out there and just like, I learned from the video. Okay, off. And now I'm going outside and working in the outdoors. And I think that's the biggest thing is being in the outdoors and being in the fresh air and doing and working is what really helps people. And I think that's kind of how I named the brewery, you know, Outdoor Agenda Beer Works is, um, the outdoors is huge for me. Being in the trees, you know, smelling, um, 
the, the, the pine and the, and the fresh water and uh, listening to the birds chirp, you know, and, and just being out there. I think that's, that kind of resonates into who I am, you know, just right. the outdoorsy kind of a guy and, you know, just get out there and, and do it. And so is that your future then after you retire from? After I retire, I'm probably be building a cabin because I really want to build a cabin and just be up on the hill, just looking at sunsets, drinking my beer. Um, I don't think, you know, having my dog sitting next to me or even on my lap and just, you know, I think just living life and enjoying Existing. what God's presenting, if there is a God, you know, just presenting what the world has, you know, I, yeah. I try not to get involved in get involved too much in politics because I, it just gets me, gives me anxiety, if you will, because I think, oh, death and mayhem, the world's coming to an end. Uh, and I just kind of step away and go. How much of that is because we grew up in a doomsday cult anyway, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just enjoy what you have in front of you, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to live within 30 minutes of mountains, peaks and, and, you know, pine trees that I can just go take a hike and, and it's just, it's great. I love it. Yeah. Good. That's who I am. I, there, I mean, that's what else do you say? <laughs> <laughs> well, give me another uh, four ounces. I'll say more. Right. <laughs> Ask me anything at this point because my lips are loose. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny to, to look back at to how I was growing up and how I was raised and I don't fault my parents at all. Right. Same. Religion. Um, I don't fault the religion at all. It's kind of funny because I've been asked if you had to go back and change anything, would you? And I wouldn't. I wouldn't change a single because thing. Because how could you guarantee that you'd be where you are now without? Yep. Yeah. I mean, even, even being raised in the, the religion and going on a mission, being sent home, um, and then repenting, being married in the temple. And, you know, I, I wouldn't change that at all because it's made me who I am. It really has. And the experiences I've had during all that time, you know, my experiences of being in the neighborhood and being, you know, I wouldn't have met you if yeah. I wasn't part of the, the religion. Right. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't discredit. I don't hate and I don't want to say I'm going to go back and change this or that or I wish this or that didn't happen even with Nate as sad as that sounds to some people or as hard no, as that I sounds to some people would I, yeah would I go back and change Nate's death absolutely but no you know right it, it's hard but it's made me who I am I remember him he's in my heart and I see pictures of him often um, I do things to remember him by and I move forward and that's one of the biggest things is you just got to keep stepping forward. You got to keep that last step, keep going forward in that last flight and finish strong. I think that's the most important thing. Just finish strong. So I think that's a beautiful place to end. I really do. Thank you so much for being on this show. Thank you for joining me for another episode of It's a Packed Life podcast. Thanks, Dan, for being on the show. I hope you'll join us next week for another episode of It's a Packed Life. <laughs>